Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are nestling into Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Kestra Dorowski. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And today we are discussing Minute 60. We are at the end of this minute, one hour in. After three years, we are finally... It only took us three years (laughs) to go one hour. Minute 60 begins with Scuttle saying, all right, this calls for a little vocal romantic stimulation and ends with Sebastian singing part of um, Kiss the Girl, but there's something. Right. He's. I mean, he's really just starting the song. Yes. Yes. He's a couple lines in, but not very many. This minute features Scuttle trying to stimulate some romance with his terrible squawking. Sebastian taking over and getting the other animals to help create some instrumental music. And Sebastian beginning to sing Kiss the Girl. Okay. Did you... We're going to talk mostly about Kiss the Girl next week. So yes. we are, like, deferring most of that discussion. The vast yes. majority of that discussion. Yes. So don't worry. We will talk about it in depth. But if we don't deal with it today, even the, the intro very much in-depth discussion coming up. Yes, absolutely. We promise that that is coming up. Did you want to start with the in- the information and research you did on the hat? Yes. So backtracking yesterday, the hat that was lost, um, which is such a shame. Losing a hat, it sucks because sometimes you just love that hat. We right? we lost our son's hat on a walk a few months ago, and that was, was oh, he lost his hat. It was not a significant hat, and he's, you know, a year old, so not a huge loss. He's going to have. A bigger head in the future and will require a new hat. But it still sucks to lose a hat. Um, But yeah, I did some research uh, to try and determine what type of hat we were dealing with. And couldn't get anything super definitive. Based on the imagery that we saw, it seems to fit into a category of what's called a cocked hat. Which is a hat that has the brim folded up towards the, the center. So like a tricorn hat or a bicorn hat would be a cocked hat, where the brim is is folded up um, towards the crown of the hat. Uh, in this case, it didn't seem like anything was coming into contact, and I don't know if there's a separate term for, you know, when the brim comes into contact with the, the crown of the hat and gets, like, stitched or pinned down to it. Um, but this one didn't seem to fit that territory anyway, and it had a little scoop out the front, which seemed like it was cut out of the front. It didn't seem like it was just the fault of angles of folding or anything like that, which is what would be the case in a lot of tricorn hats. Like that would be a a, a round brim that is folded three times and then, Mm -hmm. you know, fixed uh, to the crown. And that creates kind of a, a, a a scoop out of a round, I don't know, shape, you know, that you get in the brim, right? There's an effect that comes to it, but then there's also versions where that is accentuated by cutting, you know, the specific shape and things like that. So this seems like a a naval hat. Right. A lot of tricorn hats are revolutionary or naval. In one of the images that I found, like, they broke down naval hats, right? And there's, like, bicorn and and tricorn and all that sort of stuff for naval hats. There's different directions that you would wear it. And so you can wear it, I'm going to call it Captain Crunch style, (laughs) which (laughs) which is wide. And then there's also versions where you would wear it narrow ways. And I think wide is a, a signifier of higher rank. Okay. Where, like, the folded flap of the brim is 
in line with your forehead. So your forehead is flat and the the flat brim is flat up from yeah. your forehead. And that would, you know, say, hey, I'm 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 the big cheese. And then you've got like narrow version where it's pointed front to back. Right? I'm gesturing, so Castra can can attest that this is a very accurate yes. depiction. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right? Where it's pointed like a mohawk um yes. front to back. And that, I think, would be an indicator that you are of lower rank. Okay. Um, it's not the captain's hat. You know, Captain Crunch does not wear a point to the front. He wears it wide. Okay. Uh, does... And then, so in the image that I found that, you know, had uh, outlined several of them, um, there was one that seemed to look a lot, I think, like what Ariel was wearing. Um, and it did call it like an American captain's hat from the 1770s, which would be significantly earlier than we're dealing with. But it still feels like appropriately nautical. Like if you're on a ship, you expect this kind of hat to be going on. Okay. And these kinds of hats were definitely still going on right. in the 1800s on right. ships. So this doesn't seem like a hat that they would probably be wearing in the time frame that we have, in the time period that we have narrowed this film to be placed in. Yeah, I would... I mean, I would say it's more like novelty and fashion. Okay. Um, but but as a novelty and fashion, like yes. sure, go ahead and like wear the hat, or it might be really common for sailors. Um, okay. But I, I mean, I'd have to think back really hard to the scenes that we have of sailors. They seem to be wearing like really flat brimmed. Yeah. Um, not straw boater hats, but like like it seems like mostly flat brimmed hats. Um, yeah. Out of fabric. So hats is a whole thing. I mean, <laughs> we should we should really get like a hat if, expert, a historical hat expert. And if you are a historical yes. hat expert or no one, like let's get the details on this. Like let's yeah, try and define it. But it did You can message us. Seem... You can post it on the damsels page. Message me on Instagram. Yeah, it, and we'll we'll post a picture of it. It looks sailory. Yeah, it looks naval it or nautical. Yeah, um, to some degree, which fits the overall aesthetic. Um. But it doesn't look very specific. Like, it seems plain which, and, and, and simple. Like, it's a black hat. <laughs> it seems to be the case with a lot of the things that we are using to try and narrow down the time period. Like, the boat or mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, it seems like that's kind of the thing that... But I just also wanted but... to know what to call it. Because, like... Yeah. A good hat's a good hat, right? When you got your hat, then you got your hat. Yeah. Um... And it's a shame that it's gone now. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they picked it up later. Maybe. Or they bought a new one. He is, you know, a, a prince. prince. <laughs> yes. Another thing that I wanted to mention that could help with narrowing down time frame frame um, is with Scuttle's squawking. Okay, why would that narrow down the time frame? Because Scuttle is squawking Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet. Is he really? Yes. Do they say that in the commentary? Because there's no, like, would you really be getting that from? And I listened to it and I can only hear it as Romeo and Juliet now. But it, but somebody told you that, right? Yes. Okay. So it, it is from external context. Because on its own, I wouldn't assume that he was actually no. attempting no. a composition. No. Okay. Is... Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet. Sure. And, and do you know what that one, what that song is? Um, I probably would recognize it. I, it's not the most familiar because Tchaikovsky's ballets are not the things that I'm going to be like necessarily yes. the most I've, familiar. With. I will post a YouTube video of the song 
but he did damsel's so he did a a really famous romeo and juliet ballet which you will probably have heard yes some of he did a really well-known uh sleeping Sleeping beauty Beauty. Mm -hmm. which they did try to integrate some into the sleeping beauty music right Mm -hmm. um what are what are his other big ones um is he the nutcracker uh i feel really weird not knowing for sure who the composer of the nutcracker is but I feel like it's probably Tchaikovsky, because that was like his thing was was ballet compositions. Um, but Kestra is is rapidly acquiring information for us about Tchaikovsky's uh, repertoire. Is repertoire the right term in this case? Since he was the composer of them, repertoire is like things that you perform, not necessarily things that you created. Yeah. Thank goodness, there's so much information on Just find Tchaikovsky. a list of his songs. List of compositions. Come on. Russians don't provide you with a small amount of information about their famous people. They provide you with a lot of information <laughs> yes, about their I'm, famous I people. Yes, I am seeing that now. Uh, yes, he did perform. He did the Nutcracker, Swan Link. I was going to say Swan Link, too. Sleeping in Sleeping Beauty, as well as Romeo and Juliet and the 1812 Overture. Uh, Yeah. Which is not about the War of 1812. No. Um, it's about a different thing that happened in 1812. So there are other concertos and symphonies that he did, but those are his biggest works. Those okay. five things are his biggest, like, So, but that was, I mean, he would comfortably be in the pre-mid to late 1800s territory, right? His compositions yes. are, are more from the early 1800s? Um, late 1800s. Mid, oh. mid to late 1800s. Okay. So this could be contemporary music. Yes. So Romeo and Juliet's Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet, the first uh, composition of it was finished in 1870. And that's when they had their first performance. I could not figure it out, but I'm pretty sure it was in like St. Petersburg or Moscow. Most likely. Um, he was... He was a big deal in Russia. And it did not have a very good outcome with that. Mm-hmm. Then there was a performance. Poor reception. Yeah. Then there was a performance of it um, with his second, like, edit- edited composition of it in 1872. And that was in St. Petersburg. Okay. So that's really getting it. I would, I would call that late 1800s for sure. 1876. Um, they had... A performance of it in Vienna. Okay. And uh, another in Paris. And both of those had terrible reviews. They actually, like, in Vienna, they fired the co- the conductor of wow. it. Wow. Okay. And Bad. had another conductor come in for other performances of it. But, so, Scuttle would have had to have heard this in the 1870s. So, Little Mermaid, if we're going to base it off of some of that reference... Which we've but, already established it has to yes. be after the 1860s because of Abraham Lincoln's mm-hmm. um, statue or bust. Yes. So we've got to be pushing into the 1870s, 1880s. Yeah. So then the final completion of it mm-hmm. was in 1880, 10 years after the first composition. Okay. So and, maybe 1880s, 1890s even. And that was pre- premiered actually in 1886. So it, it took six, six years, years to, to, to perform, perform the final oh, wow. one in but, Georgia, you know, which could, was part of the Russian Empire at that time. Scuttle, Scuttle could have heard it, you know, through a window. Yes. So we, we've got some wiggle room And there. another thing was it was published for 
um, which was very unusual, but it was published in Germany, which is very unusual because Tchaikovsky's name wasn't pu- popular in Germany at the time. So it was pu- published in 1870 and I think 1880 in Germany. So this is like 1870s, 1880s, probably working on it in the 1860s. Okay, but we, we've said, okay, so that narrows us down. Little Mermaid has got to take place. In the late 1800s at the earliest. I feel comfortable saying 1800s. I feel like it would be weird to s- describe it as being in the 1900s. Yes. I don't think that would feel appropriate. So no, absolutely not. I feel very much like, okay, we've got to be dealing with the 1800s, yes. late 1800s, mm-hmm. which is totally fair for all the technology we've observed, yeah. right? We're fairly pre-industrial. Right? There's no electric lights, um, which is suitable, but effective working of metal, um, sailing ships would still be viable forms of transportation. Is the wedding on a, on a, on a steamship? Is there a paddle wheel on the wedding boat? This is the first time I'm thinking about it. Late 1800s, you can have some early steamships. So that is viable for, for that to be part of, um, the wedding party. Um, no cars, and so yeah, you'd still have horse-drawn carriage. Uh, so we could be we could be narrowing this down pretty solidly. Um, maybe maybe more than the fashion narrows it down. We've got the technology to to peg it down as late eighteen hundreds. We're not going to probably get really much more specific than eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties. Okay, okay. Kestra has pulled up a, a picture of. The wedding barge, it is not steam-powered. It is being rowed by, like, 25 <laughs> oars per side. <laughs> so that's a whole thing. Um, that's substantial. Yes. Um, but yeah, like, it's, it's, a, it's flat-topped. It's a barge, and it is, but it doesn't seem to have a paddle wheel. Yeah. So we wouldn't call that steam-powered. Although steam-powered paddle wheels could exist in this time frame. Yes. It just wasn't the most common. Yes. Um, but I'm still comfortable saying late 1800s. It's got to be after the 1860s. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty solidly based on the music stuff that you just talked about. I'm comfortable calling it 1880s, 1890s. Um, which is weird because I want to say that it's a lot earlier. It's a weird time in, in history, right? Like, yeah. you got stuff going on. But, I mean, and you've got active did... active gunpowder, fireworks, all of that sort of stuff. So, popularity of, of fireworks and gunpowder and and having that readily available. So, like, I think it's tracking. It's just... They, so... There was so much kind of unusual advancement in technology. And then it really shifts gears yeah. with electric lights and a lot of... Um, you know, coal-powered um, steamships and everything. Like, that is a big transition at the turn of the century. And Hans Christian Andersen's publication of The Little Mermaid, which he did in sections, was first published in 1837. So this would be... This is this is time-shifting. This is, like... Yeah. But, but I think you've got to say that this version of The Little Mermaid is taking place in the late 1800s. Yeah, I think so. So that's our evolving <laughs> assessment of... When the Little Mermaid happens. Yes. My last thing I wanted to talk about for this minute does touch on Kiss the Girl. 
Okay. So yeah. do you have anything you want to say uh, before we So get I've to got a, a couple things that relate to Kiss the Girl. Um, as we start out, we have a lot of cattails going on. And before we started recording, I showed you a video of cattails releasing their seeds. People don't realize oh cattails are kind of like dandelions. Like it is a weed and it has a really light, fluffy seed that travels on the wind and, and it's very cottony looking. When, when he showed me the video... It was, it looked like a smoke bomb. Like that, that. It really expands a lot. It sm- expands a lot. You also said that the video you saw. The video that I used to show you called it, or the website, the article, um, said it was. Compared like it to a, a TARDIS. A TARDIS, right? like, like from bigger, Doctor Who. Bigger on the inside. I think, I think, I don't know for sure. I think the way it works is that the seed portion is the exterior. And when you disrupt that, it starts to like spread out the the that it, would make sense the interior. But then that makes it like very much the opposite of a dandelion. But it's kind of hiding all the fluffiness. It and is, and so it's either that or the the dark exterior that you see is the compressed fluffiness. Because when it releases, it it really does expand a lot. It turns very light, fluffy, cottony um, it, it, texture. It, it is. Very fascinating. And Which our social like, media will include whoa. some sort of video yes. of cattails. Um, so there's that. And then when Kiss the Girl starts, and, and like the ducks and turtles are ready to go before Sebastian even really starts telling him to do anything. Yes. Like the turtles roll over and they're like, yeah, we're good. And the way that their faces react when they start drumming, it made me wonder, like, does that feel good? Does it feel good to get, like, if you're a turtle and you get a little drum on your tum-tum, is that, is that nice? Because they look like they're enjoying it. They're like, oh, yeah, this is like, a little stomach like, massage. Like a dog But I'm also not sure, belly. I'm not 100% sure if turtles can feel it, feel contact with their shell. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume if it's some sort of shock, that's going to reverberate through. So to that degree, yes. But if you were to just, like touch a turtle shell doesn't know that you've touched its shell I don't know. does it have nerve endings because the shell isn't covered in skin right the shell right. is i mean so i essentially skeletal when i was little growing up i lived in virginia and we lived in basically we lived in our neighborhood was built in the middle of the forest like there were trees woods everywhere Mm -hmm. and there was a pond right by my house we called it frog pond but we would always go there and we would see frogs we would see tadpoles we would see um fish we would see animals and one time we found a turtle shell and um but no turtle inside it was completely empty turtle shell so i don't know what the so biology of a turtle a turtle's shell is attached to its spine it is it is skeletal Right. right, so you can see a cross section of a turtle shell with the the vertebra. It, it was the vertebrae are connected to the shell. It was cracked a little bit, but and I could like my memory could be completely but, false so, from this, but I'm pretty sure we found a turtle shell and a like there was a little bit of crack, but be, like a turtle shell can be empty. the The soft tissue can dissolve from the inside of the turtle shell and leave yeah. you with a hard exterior. Um, and I think there's a strong chance that the bone portions of like the limbs and stuff um, could detach fairly easily, right? The connective tissue connecting, you know, yeah. sockets to, from, to joints and everything like that could dissolve. But 
from what I'm remembering, I don't remember anything being really inside near. it or near it that mm-hmm. would like resemble bones or skin or yeah. A turtle cannot like crawl out of its shell. That's right. not a thing, right? Um, but I don't know how much they like feel contact yeah, with their shells, and and like there's different kind of turtles and tortoises and all that sort of stuff. So it's a whole like thing, yeah. So I don't know if it, it feels good, but it looks like it feels good. Yeah, it looks like, like they're, they're having a good time. They're into it. They're like, yeah, this is nice. Mm-hmm. Is that all you wanted to yep. say? So my last n- note is literally the last second of this okay. minute. And there is a moment when Ariel is looking to the side, and then she turns and looks at... It's really, she's looking at Sebastian as he's leaning on Eric's shoulder, like, being yeah. like, hey, yeah, listen he's, to me. Yeah, he's singing. Yeah. Um, and as she turns, there's a moment when I think it was John Musker, um, he, in the commentary, it might have been Ron, um, but one of those two said that he, they actually had to re- animate and edit a portion of that turn because it wasn't done properly. Okay. I would never have known. Which leads to, like, next week when we talk about how... um, I mean, it's a whole animated sequence. How some of Ariel in this next scene seems a little weird. Probably not done by Glen King. One main time. And I feel like there was maybe a little of it during the village, but not worth, like, really bringing up. And I, um, I don't think we talk about it next week uh but there is a moment where eric starts to have like this weird recognition face as sebastian's singing it's like okay how much is he hearing yeah Um, but we'll get more into that next week so Mm -hmm. you're all good i'm all good then that's all we have for you today we are part of dueling genre you can find us and many other podcasts at duelinggenre.com and there you will also find a link to a patreon page where you can support all the dueling genre productions we are on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels Group. Until next time, listeners, thank you for making us part of your world. <laughs>